Well, we will get started. Our Heavenly Father, we come before your throne today, and we're, we're thankful, Lord, of this beautiful weather you've given us, the cool that uh, will help the plants realize it is winter, and, and the sun to help us enjoy the day. We ask you, Lord, to bless our minds with a, a clarity and our, our, give our hearts your spirit to be able to uh, discern your word and to be able to be open with each other and trusting. All these things we pray in your Son's name, Jesus our Lord. Amen. So last week we kind of were starting off at the time period with Arrhenius and uh, Polycarp. And, and so shortly thereafter we, we would be introduced to three more fellows. And there's lots of fellows at this time period. Sadly, when I was trying to decide who makes the cut or who doesn't make the cut, it was like, oh, no, I should include that guy. Oh, wait. No, I shouldn't. No. So, in any case, I kind of settled on three. And there's lots more. But these particular three were interesting because, well, one of them helps drive home my point later and for what we're kind of focusing around somewhat today. But... The other two were very good examples of how different it can be. So, and uh, you'll want one of these. Not really, but I feel bad because I've heard so many. So, in, t- in the time period, if we Think about the centuries, the second through the fourth. Uh, hopefully next week that'll let us leap from the fifth up into the reform. Because if we if we were doing kind of what I apparently have been doing, we could just stay bogged down at this time for a long time. Because there's a lot of exciting things that were happening to the believers and to the world around them. But uh, the question you have is probably who was Flavius Justinus? And uh, again, forgive my lack of pronunciation, but we'll just go with what it kind of looks like. And uh, any ideas what that guy might have, who he might have been? So is Flavius a title? Because we see a lot of Flavius. Well, you know, it's interesting to say that. I honestly don't know if it is. Does anyone know particularly if it is a title or if it is a... There was an awful lot of... uh, A lot of of that, it, but it's it's kind of like one of those things that if you look, there's Aureliuses, there's there's lots of those, but uh, it seems some fellows only had a single name, and lots of folks had multiple names, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if it wasn't somewhat due to your position within the hierarchy of the, of the area you're from, but uh, in this particular case, the, we know him better as Justin Martyr, and he was a uh, we, we believe born around 100 A.D. So if you were to think of these three fellows, it's going to be kind of early, later, and middle. But in this particular case, he was born in Samaria. And one of the things I thought was somewhat interesting about him was that like many guys in this day, he apparently had enough money to not necessarily have to work because he was going about finding different philosophical approaches to things considering them, and then frequently dropping it and moving on to the next. Well, he happened to be walking along on a beach 
and saw an older gentleman, and that older gentleman approached him and literally explained the gospel to him. And upon hearing it, he was convinced suddenly that he had the right system to follow. And he actually continued debating and evangelizing with people around the the arc of the Mediterranean Sea to the point that he opened a school in Rome to teach philosophy. And so uh, one of the sadder things about that time is that if you were in favor, your works were preserved really well. And if you weren't in favor, well, you had to be really, really not in favor for your works to be preserved really well. And so this guy kind of fell in the middle. And we have three, three works that he's primarily known for. The first that was interesting, it was, it was a, an apology that was written to the emperor. And I'll have to get the... It's Antonius Pius. And to me, that's interesting to think that we had a time period when there was an opportunity for you to write a letter to the Senate and to the emperor that would be an apology to say, well, this is what we believe and why we believe it and the traditions we're having that you're misunderstanding. We're not what you think we are. It was not uh, effective, but uh, it was interesting to read. And he, he also had a, a penchant, again, for debate. He was a good orator. He could speak well with others. And... Uh, Later on in his life, he would meet up against another philosopher named Crescens that would ultimately be his demise. Crescens would lead the uh, authorities against him, and ultimately he was beheaded. So we have a kind of a kind of a quote from the time that quotes in English of what they spoke back then. I always find a little bit hard to call quotes, but I. English interpretation of what he said was that it was he would rather than sacrifice his intellect, since it had been persuaded of the truth of the gospel, he would sacrifice his life. And uh, I think that that's why I said more persecution and more heresy. is because the folks at this particular time were struggling with this culture around them that was very much focused on spiritual versus physical with this idea that we're going to have this huge breakthrough and that we're going to suddenly understand things better, but maybe not. Maybe we're doing it wrong. And so these guys literally were, like I say, itinerant philosophers. They just kind of found someone they liked, studied at the guy's feet a little bit, and then moved on. So he was teaching heresy or he was He actually was preaching the gospel. And so he was a, a uh, well... That in and of itself is going to lead us right into origin. Because basically these fellows did not have the luxury, I think, of a a systematic view all the time. And so frequently you had this really great word of wisdom from someone, and then you have this, not not quite what you would want to share with other folks. And that's particularly true of origin. He, uh, was a brilliant young man. Pardon me? There's nothing to keep him in check. That's very true. And that'll kind of be another thing that without some form of uh, grouping, the the lack of uh, consistency is, is why the orthodoxy was so loose. You had one fellow that was teaching one thing, another that was teaching the other, but 
kind of the interesting thing to me is that the gospel stayed in the middle of it all, and that portion of the truth seems to have survived very, very well. And so, how about the bigger water bottle this week? I have a question. Please. The, the beach scene, was that near Rome? I believe it was actually in Palestine, near, uh, oh. on the west, on the east, uh, that would be the eastern edge. And, and again, it, we have, later we'll hand out the Roman Empire maps. But it's really interesting when you look at the uh, breadth of the empire. And that is one of the things I believe the Lord used was this system of roads in its common language. And even under the persecution, they had a way to flee from one city to the next that was not uh, necessarily truly crawling over the brambles to get to the next place. And so in this particular case, he was originally from Samaria, so he was already in that area, to that eastern side. And that's where he set up a school? No, he actually set up a school in Rome. Okay. So he did work his way over there. Okay. And if you look at his death, which was about... If you look at him like in Wikipedia, it says he died in 165, but the procurator that was the fellow that was responsible for his death was working between 64 and 68, and so the, the place I, I kind of settled on was 166, is what the, uh, one of the more authoritative books that I considered as being reasonable said. So, But it is one of those things where he was not... Uh, it's, an, it's a good example of the fact that Christian persecution was not always uh, empire-wide. There would be a time of, of somewhat uh, easing of that persecution, largely based on how the emperor was feeling about his control of the area. If he felt like he was losing control, he would usually amp up the, everyone get on the same page as me, whereas if things seemed to be going fairly well, you know, the, uh, the Gauls, and the Goths, the, those, that Britannia, all that distracted them frequently from their concerns. And a lot of the emperors were actually military men. They were not in the cities, and so it was left to other procurators that basically sometimes just didn't care. They were like, yeah, it depends on your local person. We, we're having a, a pretty good time right now, and so we're okay. If you go back to Lyon, which we were kind of talking about a little bit last week in, in France, modern-day France, they were at the point that as soon as the Christians would go and worship together, their neighbors would break into their homes and steal things. And it got to be a, hey, they're a pretty easy group. And so they did round up 85 at one point in time and, and, and basically give them the test. If you'll, if you'll burn this incense to the emperor, you can live. And they chose not to. And so that's an example of one procurator that used his ability very much in the moment to kind of get his way. It's kind of a little bit of a land grab, a lot of a, a keeping the people there happy. But uh, oddly enough, the actual Arrhenius, he did not write heavily of how bad the place was. He, he wrote fairly much under the guise of, it's just normal. This is normal. 
we should expect this. And so uh, I, 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 can, I can say it, it was very different depending upon where you lived. And so in this particular case, uh, Justin Martyr is, again, he went up against a fellow that in his uh, debate he bested, and it just so happens that the fellow had enough influence that he could say, well, you know, that guy, he doesn't worship Caesar. And when did, when did that start? Do you guys have an idea of when did the emperor worship really start? Exactly. It started at the very beginning. I, I, in my head, had always thought like Nero. You know, surely Nero is a guy that was bonkers enough to start this. But it actually was at the start of the empire. When Augustus Caesar said, I am God. And the Senate and the Republic, all, they kind of went, okay, we're polytheistic. We'll go with it. So it's kind of the glue they used the religion to hold the empire together. Yeah. Well, they and don't have their own particular beliefs, but they have to adhere have to the to system. Pay lip service to the big guy. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it's interesting when we talk later about the emperors themselves, they, uh, again, it was kind of a rise and fall of, of what their feeling was of the moment of how well they were in control. And ultimately, at the end, right before Constantine, uh, the emperor said, we've got to go all the way back. Before, before Caesar, we're going to go back to the ancient Roman gods. Those are the guys we need to, everyone needs to get on board with. And I think that was another one of those examples of, huh? But we've been doing this for a while. And so... So... Justin Martyr, again, he wrote, he had, we have like three of his works, two apologies and a, an actual dialogue with a Jew who uh, he was talking to named Trifo or Tripo. I don't, never really know if the pH is a soft or a hard thing, but in any case, that discussion is still, we still have access to it. And it's an interesting discussion and debate on the fact that Christ is Lord. And so... Um, so he was sort of a pioneer of what we called nowadays apologetics. He was. In fact, on an intellectual level with other intellectuals. In fact, that's that's very much the theme for much of what we're going to talk about this morning is just how much uh, intellectualism is was then present. And how, again, I think today we're in the same world where we all have a lot of access to information and, and it does sometimes cloud the message. The message isn't as uh, hidden as sometimes many people try to make it. So, and so we, that kind of kicks off to origin, and that's when I mistyped hundreds of times. His name's spelled with an E, not with an I. Although I misspelled Justin Martyr on the first batch and uh, had a Y in the, instead of the I and his name. But uh, no, it's just pretty much normal. So uh, this is another weird one. Origines Adamantius was his name. And we, we know him as Origin. His last name sounds like something straight out of, X, uh, out of X-Men. You know? Yeah. And so anytime you wonder where all those names for uh, the Lords of Shinar, and it's like, hey, that's just good old-fashioned, you know, ancient Roman type stuff. But he was born in Alexandria, Egypt. And so it was an area that had a library, and he was a gifted intellectually his his intellect was so strong that by 18 
He was actually already an instructor in theology. His father was arrested, and he was imprisoned for his beliefs, and he wrote a letter to his father to, to try to encourage him not to lose faith. And it kind of just goes on from there in this kind of whirlwind uh, story of how smart this young fellow is. And he grows up to be a very smart, regular fellow and eventually gets older as well. But uh, he was smart enough that he drew the attention of the emperor's mother, Julia. And so he actually got to explain the Christian faith to her. And the, the emperor at that time was Alexander Severus. And so uh, we're going to talk a little bit in a minute about this, the number of the emperors. But, uh, that was about 185 was when he was born. And so he went on and, and ended up uh, developing a number of one of the very first kind of systematic theologies. But he wrote and was curious about how do we read this sacred book? He actually, again mysticism of the day, he was very concerned that we were reading these sacred, sacred texts too plainly. And so we mentioned the, the quadriga last week. Do you guys remember that at all? About, I'm sure you do, but that to me is a very unusual name, but it's just another Roman word for four horses that lead a chariot. And so that four horses that or pulling that chariot was a quadriga, and he believed that whenever you read the Bible or the texts, that you should look for essentially four different views of them. And that's changed wildly since his day. But if you were to like pick a spokesperson for popularizing a way of reading things, he would kind of be that... Uh, let's see, how did I, I... I thought I coined a funny thing there. Let me... Well, that's the problem with too small a text. But, uh, well, in any case, we'll call him like the, uh, an early adopter of that. And so, whenever he was reading the text, he thought that there should be spiritual, and there should be a allegorical, and there should be a moral, and, and, and that, again, has just changed. And it affected the way the, the Bible was read for at least 12 centuries, and I think it's still widely, it's been corrected, I think, a lot to some degree for us today because we're all now much more aware that context is important, understanding the cultural impact is important. There are elements of what they were trying to do that were good, but the whole looking for this particular scripture means something about uh, Christ versus the Old Testament, means something about the future second coming, means something about how we should live today, and means something, it was just very, very challenging. So, um, in any case, his intellect eventually gets him in trouble because he was somewhat fanciful, and he kind of came up with a couple of problematic views. The first of which we're probably fairly familiar with is that he thought that everything cosmically would be reconciled to God. And he came into a form of universalism. And so, whenever we hear of origin spoken today in our circles, he's usually not the patron saint of good stuff. He's kind of one of those fellows that, well, he's been one of those guys that kind of got off kilter a little bit. And he also was very big on the fact that the father 
was the provider of the deity for the sun. And so that led to another guy that we'll talk about, Arius, later. But um, So if you were to look at what they were trying to, they, they talked about that literal form that would be what we naturally would see the words mean. An anagogic form, which uh, is dealing with those future events in a Christological or, or a future um, heaven and earth or hell, general resurrection type things. A typological, which was that allegorical meaning, connecting those events from old and new. And then the last one was tropological, or the moral. Those are big words that I wrote down so that I could remember those. But they're applying all this to only the Old Testament? No, well, they, they, they viewed the Old Testament as the Old Testament, but they were calling the, by this time, they were all collecting the uh, copies of the letters from the apostles. Okay, so Yes, yes, he's, he's, in fact, the later, at 185 was when he was born. And so, um, he's the latest, if you fast forward again to the, the, and that speaks to one of the points I would like to make, is that these roads and this persecution continues to push this information throughout the known world. And it is, at this point, you've got Alexandria, the largest Library. I mean, we still today think of Alexandria, Egypt, as being the great library that was lost, but also still at this time, it isn't lost. It's it's got all the books, and so uh, and him being intellectually gifted, he had access to lots of them, and so um, later, whenever we look, his his views specifically were condemned in Constantinople back in the 500s, so in the 6th century, they finally come back and say, no, those two things were not right. That's actually heresy. So, any questions or thoughts or before I go on to the, uh, the next guy? You probably, anyone has any comments? I'm, I'm good to go. Origen was really smart. He was. And... I remember he had a, a grasp of the languages. Mm-hmm. It was phenomenal. Yep, he was, he was actually, again, that's another good point to, to point out, is that Greek and uh, was a, a language that was not necessarily known everywhere, but it was widely known. And so he was able to essentially traverse and move around that area. And, uh, but for the most part, he was kind of in his, in his area there in Alexandria. And so, yeah. Um, I missed the first two weeks because I was teaching or sick. But, um, oh. So, had the church come together to say, this is what we believe, you know, um, the New Testament is? Or that not thing. yet. We're, so we're still not canonized yet. Yeah. And so, uh, by the end of the day, we're going to at least get to some orthodoxy. Yeah. But... Uh, before this time, you still had even like early fathers like uh, Clement. His writings would be even handed around, but he was in this time as well. But uh, those letters made their way as a a valued, you know, family gift that would be going to a group, and they'd be copied meticulously and traversed on forward. And so uh, the early writings of the apostles were very. They did, again, figure out that there's four, there's only four Gospels. They're like, these are the four. 
And they had figured out that these are the epistles of Paul. And they had figured out, there's some others that they're like, going, well, we know about this James guy. But uh, <laughs> Peter, did he write more than one letter? And so there was, there was... Uh, but in only 200 years since Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, they're home churches and and, and synagogues. I mean, they were still meeting widely in the same areas. But by this time, the Jewish people had pretty much said, Nah, that's not us. We're not the bad guys. Those are the upstarts. Look what they did in in Jerusalem. They ruined it. And uh, so we were, as Christians, pretty much... uh, a standout in the fact that we would not bend to the things that the rest of the people in the empire would. And so I think that's really one of the biggest contentions is that as a, as a person that's in charge of an area, I'm collecting taxes. Those guys will give me the tax money, but for whatever reason, they won't offer the incense to the emperor. That doesn't seem right. I can pick on them. So, and a lot of times the picking was much worse. One interesting little aside in the, about the passing around of the Gospels and the letters of Paul. This was basically the development of the modern book. They would take those letters, those written on papyrus, bind them together mm-hmm. to make them easier to, to, to make them more mobile. And, you know, so that's how they called it the, co- the Codex, and that's what became the modern book. Mm-hmm. And, and I... I'm interested, the story about uh, Augustine, it says he opened his book to Romans. And to me, I'm like, so that means that by the time that he was around, we'll talk at the end of the day, they had to begin, as, you, as you're saying, binding these letters together. And so, um, the third fellow we're talking about, and we have a little bit of humor if you've watched any of the Lutheran satire, it's Moodle is a Patrick. Your kids uh, or friends might have known that. Uh, you can't, if you've never seen Lutheran satire, watching the, the skit between St. Patrick and the two fellows from Ireland talk about the Trinity, it's worth, it's worth the moments to watch. But, uh, I, I, we should hook it up just because, again, the, the the kids and I, we just laughed and laughed. We, we loved it. Yeah, everyone was Patrick. In fact, that the whole Lutheran satire shtick is that they keeps resurrecting those two guys for different areas and calling people Patrick. For the sake so. of those who don't know, it's a YouTube channel. Oh, my bad. Lutheran satire, so the, the theme of which is teaching the faith by making fun of stuff. So, and it's funny. But yeah. it teaches Lutheran theology. <laughs> yeah, there's, again, you've got a little so bit of a bend there. Yeah, we have got a bend there. But, um, and so, whenever we're talking about the next fellow, we start to ask, does it really matter how we think about the Trinity? And of course it matters how we think about the Trinity, but that is the particular point that Quintus Septimus Florens Tertullianus, or as we know as Tertullian, that was his real thing he was upset about. Um, he was born in Carthage. And so, again, you, to me, it blew my mind that you have this continuum of things around the Mediterranean that these people are having similar weird names, and they're all over the place. And so that is just remarkable to me at how the, uh, the, the Roman Empire basically 
was just co-opted into the Christian highway system of getting it out and about. And so um, he was actually, uh, it was about 165. So he was born before Origen, but after uh, Justin Martyr. And so he was raised a non-Christian. And so that was not uncommon. There weren't that many Christians yet. But he did come to his belief in his mid-30s. His big two things he was upset about were modalism and this growing moral laxity is kind of what they called it. The religion of softness. It was the fact that Christians of the day were kind of getting by. It's like, well, how about you don't ask me specifically to offer any incense to Caesar and I won't specifically tell you no. And I'll just try to blend in. And it was very concerning. You know, the... uh, yeah, they were, uh, he was uh, basically, again, upset about the fact that so many people weren't willing to stand up for what they believed. And so that indifference that he saw around him really got to him. And so his big thing that we're thankful for is that he was one of the ones that really pushed this idea of the Trinity. And he's largely, it's believed, the first fellow to call it the Trinity. And so whenever, we, uh, whenever we're like, well, that's not specifically in the Bible, he would say, yeah, yeah, it is. You just, I'm giving it a one-word name instead of the multiple examples that are there. And that's, that's a, kind of what we're saying. So for those of us that didn't watch the comic... Modalism is the belief that there's only one God and that he manifests himself in three different modes. I kind of think of it like a play. You've seen a one-act play where you have one fellow that plays all the parts? Well, that's what they were believing. And that, that would be that God himself was originally God, but then he would appear as, this, uh, as his son and then would appear as this Holy Spirit. And that... Um, they, he, he would use whatever guise was needed at that moment. And so, clearly we don't, we don't hold to that. But it was the big uh, kicking off point for why we have the Council of Nicaea that we'll talk about later. So, uh, any thoughts or questions on him? And, uh, Tom's confidence in all of this is completely overwhelming. Yeah. The road systems, the intellectual debates, all of this leads to a systematic and how so many of them didn't necessarily die until late, late in life of either old age or, or beheading or something worse. But it, again, was, uh, it's just kind of remarkable that where you lived was very important on how you were treated. And so, moving forward from... What did you say that man's name was? That man was uh, Tertullian, is what you would typically, if you're looking him up today, we would call him. His, his, if you're just goading me into reading his whole name again, yes. it's Quintus Septimus Florens Tertullianus. Thank you. If you wrote that down correctly, you were remarkable. But uh, I like the fact that it's like one guy's got one name, another guy's got two, another guy's got four. Maybe there were hyphens before we realized there were hyphens. But, uh, so, by this time we're coming up into the 4th century. And the, uh, 
we have some some interesting uh, visual aids. So rather than uh, you have kind of on your handout, this is this two side. You can you can look at this when you're ready. You guys will have to share. But anyway, that's a, that's just a map of the Roman Empire. So take a look at the front page. It's divided into four areas. This is about 390, is I think whenever that's represented. But in any case, I wanted you to be able to see this kind of all the way around the Mediterranean. For those geographically gifted, you can in your mind picture the northern portions of Africa, all of southern portions of Europe, into Spain and up into Britannia or Great Britain, and all the way on the, the eastern <coughs> side from the areas of Turkey down through Israel and into Egypt. It's just remarkable how big this thing was. The second page is, is, is more for later, but by this time, how many emperors do you think there were before Constantine? So this is, we'll, we'll call it 325 years, and the first emperor, well, I'll, I'll give you the, the hint, he actually was 27 years before Christ, but still, how many emperors do you think there might be? No guesses. Good, good, good. Okay. Well, this was a there's a lot. This was this was a, a bigger chunk of than I realized. Whenever I said, I'm going to write down all the emperors from the time of the beginning. To, well, let me just say, I eventually had to go and grab a, a list of names and then add stuff to them. And if you're interested, I did create a a shareable file that you can I'll email you if you're interested. But there were 55 by the time. Uh, the Nicene Council had been. And by that time, the empire had grown so large that it had been divided into four different uh, provinces to be managed by different folk. And so there were four emperors. I mean, it was, that used to be a bigger thing when you're emperor. But then now you have, and it would become a big thing again whenever Constantine does unite it. But so up to Constantine, there were 55. But Diocletian was an emperor that saw that there was this big problem occurring in the empire, that it was out of control. The people were, were at one point coming in, they were gaining power against them, and they were having to move the Roman legions around to try and push people back out to keep the, the hordes at bay. And uh, he really was a gifted mover of our management fellow and the fact that he was able to move things around as well as he was but he wanted to restore stability and peace to the empire and that's why he appointed and carved the empire up and so at the same time he felt largely that a big problem was we've gotten away from our roots and so he's the one that said let's go back to the old gods so we're going to reinstate some some hard-nosed if you're not one of us, we're coming after you. And so for the large part, uh, Christianity was again amped up into persecution. So we have a, we have a pretty big uh, problem for most of the empire in the fact that Christianity has enjoyed these lulls of laxity in the part of the people. And then suddenly you had this tremendous uprising of persecution and it was just like trying to uh, 
they couldn't get the toothpaste back into the tube. By the time that they squeezed hard, it just moved us to another area. And so uh, it was remarkable how, uh, again, the Lord used them that we've said so many times. But at this time, we're getting to the point to where there's actually an eastern empire and, and a western empire. There's four provinces, but there are two major major seats of power, one in Rome and the other in Constantinople, or Byzantium is what it was known in that time, and that's where we get the Byzantine Empire from. And uh, I tell you, I could just get lost, and it's like a rabbit hole. If you're interested in, in, in all the uh, political maneuverings and, and handshakes that were led to daggers, that it's, it's just crazy on, this is my son, he's going to be an emperor over here, this is my nephew, go kill my son. There's a, it's just, it's just crazy. But uh, in any case, it was a rot that a fellow Constantine I was like willing to step up against. And this is the fellow that, that popularized this symbol. And many of us have seen this on other, other uh, denominations. They've, they've acquired it. And it was the Cairo symbol. And for those of you that actually were a, in a fraternity or a sorority and know your Greek letters, it's like pretty much the C and the R in the name of Christ. And so it was appropriated because it, this emperor, uh, Constantine, believed to have had a vision. So if you were to you know kind of the, what we remember today versus what really happened, but he had a vision before one of his major battles that he saw this symbol and uh, it was Christ on a horse with... with uh, with these swords, and he didn't know who it was, but fortunately, he had a fellow near him, uh, Lactanius. Wow, this one's a bad one. Lactanius was a a Christian that became ultimately his uh, the emperor's uh, religious leader. You know, he he basically was one of the fellows that was constantly in his ear, telling him what was going on. So. But, uh, so, I guess we'll, we'll at the, we have this empire that's kind of having problems. At the same time, many Christians had begun, again, not being as, as willing to, to say their, uh, to stay up with their beliefs. And so, we have this move towards uh, monasticism, which is kind of weird. You've got a fellow that's like, well, I know what I believe, and I'm very disappointed in the people around me. I wonder if I went off and thought about it more, if I could come up with, you know, I'd just be better. I'd be, I wouldn't be a part of all this. And so we have a, a young fellow, Antony, that was gripped by Jesus' words and the fact that whenever Jesus told the young ruler to sell everything and follow me, he literally did. His parents passed away and died kind of suddenly whenever he was young. And... Uh, he sold all that he had and moved out into the desert. And over 20 years, he acquired a lot of followers. And so um, he was kind of one of the first leaders of that monastic lifestyle that was popular enough that a book was written by Athanasius called The Life of Antony that really, while this fellow was still alive, made him even more popular. And so you've got... The sudden rise of persecution, folks not necessarily uh, 
living up to what others thought they might should. Because of that, we have this new uh, aesthetic lifestyle where people are giving up stuff to to basically uh, try to show their piety. And uh, that's one of the things that I think led to uh, a change in the, in the world again. And so... Constantine was having this, this big battle at Milvian Bridge, and uh, he brought this vision later into his final battles where he did actually unite the empire. But as an aside, we, we kind of started off with Augustus, and we all know Nero. We've read his name in the Bible. We're pretty good. Vespasian was one of the fellows we talked about last week. He was about that, he only ruled for a decade, but... He was uh, in the 70s, that's 69 to 79. His son Titus we talked about. Antonius Pius, the fellow that we talked about with Justin Martyr, we fast-forwarded to one about 138. We're moving down the list. You're kind of seeing him go forward. And, oh no. That can't possibly be right. Well, um, so we'll move forward. If you're interested in that, we'll get with that. Uh, the the things that were that happened is that's important about Constantine is that in 313 he talked with his eastern uh, counterpart at that time and created the Edict of Milan, and that was the actual edict that outlawed the persecution of the Christians. And so the eastern uh, emperor had married his cousin. And he was feeling, well, I've got, I've got this vision. I want this big battle. Seems like this might be advantageous. Can't get rid of these people. Maybe we should figure out a way to co-opt them into becoming part of us. And he, uh, whether or not you buy into that he was wholeheartedly a Christian or not, he did actually get uh, baptized in 327. And so it was, I'm sorry, 337. And so we have... Uh, a lot of things going on, and there's just no. so. Let's say, is it over at 15 after? Yeah. Well, the good news is, is I don't have to prepare quite as much next week. <laughs> but um, we're already very, very familiar with the uh, Council of Nicaea, but that happened basically in the summer palace of Constantine. So. Finally, that thing that's on your sheet that you're like, what is this? Why did you hand me this sheet of paper? That uh, big blob that now, uh, did I give them all away? All right. If you, the where's Waldo moment is, if you look at this kind of uh, big area of, of orange here, Nicaea is just to the, to the east of that, to the right. And if you look at the top of this little center lake area that's really a sea, it's Constantinople. And so that's really where, where uh, this area, all this excitement is happening. And at the time in the world, the Germanic tribes and the Gaul, the people from France and the, and the people from Britain, they're pushing back really hard on the western side of the empire. And it is not as stable as they would like. And so ironically, New Roma, or Constantinople, the Byzantine seat, ends up becoming the center of the Roman Empire. So it moves from Rome 
over to Constantinople about this time when Constantine takes over. Because Constantine was from Rome, and he did all of his battles in that area, but ultimately he was enamored by the region and, and ends up coming that way. So uh, the, the Summer Palace, we, we, we know the Nicene Creed, we all recite it. Uh, it's a blessing that we have it. The, the fact that uh, I would point out that in 325, the fellow that caused all this is we are frequently knowing as Arius for Arianism. I didn't really realize that he was a big presbyter or bishop of that region and that he was uh, back in the uh, 318 time frame. He's one of the first guys to figure out if you set something to song, it'll catch on. And so he created his own creed or his own hymn of, uh, of it. And I thought this was interesting. It says, the uncreated God has made, a, made the Son a beginning of things created. And by adoption has God made the Son into an advancement of himself. Yet the Son's substance is removed from the substance of the Father. The Son is not equal to the Father, nor does he share the same substance. God is the all-wise Father, and the Son is the teacher of his mysteries. The members of the Holy Trinity share unequal glories. So, now imagine that in a, a catchy tune. And uh, that was really the beginnings of this split, this schism that we'll t- we had planned on talking about the Great Schism next week. but And we may be able to get there anyway. But Arianism that grew out of this this fellow's desire to change that is what fortunately a fellow named Athanasius really was against. And Athanasius was a little short fellow, very dark skinned, and uh, he was so enthusiastic, he was actually uh, essentially banished or exiled like five times in his, uh, during his time, where it was like, you can't come back. We're having this meeting, but you can't come back. And so, um, I do think that... Uh, Which is funny, because we wanted to put the affirmation mm-hmm. And so, that was him trying to counter Arius' views. And so, uh, I guess we'll, we'll begin next week at the discussion of Augustine, which, just as a, a precursor... The quick, quick, quick version of Augustine is he was not a Christian to begin with, but he had a Christian mother. He moved, he was actually a professor of rhetoric. Does anyone remember, have you ever heard of rhetoric? It's the ability to convince someone of something. So he was a professor of that in Milan. He was brought into the faith because his mom was a Christian, and he encountered Ambrose of Milan, who was a bishop there, and was a gifted speaker as well. And so Ambrose befriended him, and through the course of their relationship, he began to sit under the teaching, and he was convinced upon one day, hearing a child yell out in, a, in Latin, which again, I don't speak that, so, uh, that basically was pick up and read, is what the English translation of Tolelege, whatever it is, would be. And he did. He, he turned, and on the, on the table there was a copy of Romans, he opened it up and was happened to be in the area about 1314 is the area that if you were trying to find it. It says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. 
And that was the exact opposite of how he'd been living. Because he, he was actually in a sect of, of philosophers that ate melon to the extreme. They felt that the more melon you ate, the healthier you were. So he was willing to kind of be a little bit unusual. But, again, intellectually, he was searching. And the Lord used his mother and a, uh, a, a good, uh, of speaking of a good pastor to lead him to that faith. And he ended up writing what most of us would attribute uh, is one of the greater works that we've, we've got to play with when we're reading uh, other books. So we'll pick up with him. But uh, the, the kind of the crux of all this was for today was that the very same things then that led people to Christ are what lead people to Christ today. It's prayer. It is your uh, telling them the gospel truth and also uh, them, um, the Spirit opening their heart by giving them a new heart. And so I really like the fact that we don't remember the name of, of their people that brought them. The, the old man that brought Justin Martyr to faith, we don't know his name. We do know Ambrose, and we, know, uh, we do know uh, Augustine's mom's name was... Uh, I've written that down so we could try to get him out, her out, but... Uh, Julia. Julia, I think that is right. Yeah, So uh, and so we do know their name, but I think it's really neat that God delights in the use of the hidden and forgotten. He just seems to use anything and everything, and that was what we were talking about. His provident, providential will is, is remarkable. And so we'll pray and uh, move forward. Father, we're so, so very thankful for the gift you've given us in your word how you've uh, carried it forward and moved it to where we are able to enjoy having a copy of it in our homes today, on our phones, throughout the world. We pray, Lord, for opportunities to share your, your message with those others, and we pray for your spirit to plant the seeds and that we may water and that your fruit will, will, will grow forth. I thank you, Lord, for this church and our opportunity to worship you in the coming hour. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us your spirit to help us do that correctly. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.